today on Standing on the Word. And Jesus is saying here that the standard in my kingdom and for my people is more than just don't murder. I don't want you angry at each other. And not only do I don't want you angry at each other, I don't want you slandering each other, talking about each other, calling each other names. There's no place for that in my kingdom. It's as if you are a murderer using your tongue to stab people in the back. There's poison come out of a lot of Christian lips. You're listening to Standing in the Gap, standing for truth in a fallen world. Welcome to Standing in the Gap, Standing on the Word, a verse-by-verse study of the Bible and the powerful truths that are revealed throughout God's Holy Word. I'm your host, Mike Cross. Today we'll hear from Josh Tompkins, who is pastor and Bible teacher at West End Baptist Church, as we learn about the beginning of Jesus' ministry and how he focused his effort on correcting the false teachings and beliefs of the world, showing that the extent of the law doesn't rest on physical actions on the outside, but was intended to apply to our hearts on the inside. And now from his sermon titled, The Danger of Anger, here's Josh. I thought about calling this a series because uh, uh, it's six straight sermons, six straight passages on, on Jesus says. It's six sayings of Christ here in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is going to take uh, a popular thought, a popular belief, something we all know to be true, something that we all expect to, to know and, and to understand. And he'll take it and say, in reality, we really don't understand what that means. So like today, he's going to take uh, the, the topic of thou shalt not murder. And we all know that. Everybody knows that. The crowd that he's talking to in the Sermon on the Mount here, everybody knows that it's bad to murder. I mean, we all know that. Nobody in here is going to deny that. Nobody in here is going to say, you know, I don't agree with you on that, Josh. Everybody knows that to be true. And then he's going to turn that around and he's going to say, but I say, and then he's going to teach on that topic. And that's six straight things he's going to say there. But today is going to be go from thou shalt not kill to thou shalt not be angry. And I titled this sermon today, The Danger of Anger. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the thou shalt not be angry. So we're, we're all going to be very, very convicted by this today. Because if I ask you around the room, how many of you have been angry uh, this morning? And husbands looking at wives even right now. Uh, we've all been angry today. We're going to look at anger today. And so let's, let's look at this passage. Let's all stand together. Uh, again, I titled this The Danger of Anger. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, look at verses 21 to 26. And you'll see kind of the theme of his teaching here. Again, I've, I've kind of titled this series, Jesus Says. You've heard it said, but Jesus says. We've heard these teachings, but let's see what Jesus says about them. So starting there in verse 21... You'll see as we look at this passage, verse 21, you've heard that it was said by them of old time. So you've heard it said. This is what you've heard. Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say, this is Jesus saying now, clarifying, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And he goes even further, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But again, taking it even further, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remembrance that thou, thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly while that, while uh, thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. So Jesus here uh, almost doubles down, uh, triples down 
upon this anger, uh, where it gets into the heart of the matter. So we're going to study this passage today and look at the danger of anger. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer before we study this passage. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it teaches us, how it convicts us, how it works deep into our hearts. And we need that. God, this passage has convicted me. I needed it in my study. I needed to hear these things. And God, I think our church needs to hear these things. I think all of Christianity needs to go back to these truths of what Jesus is saying here. So God, use this today, please. Use these verses, five or six verses, use it for the good of your people. Number one, use it for the good of the people in these pews. But overall, God, use it for your glory. Please teach us through your word today, please. We need this. Let us get to the heart of murder. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We judge things by how they look on the outside. That's everybody in this room. We have done it today. Every single one of us judge other people and other things by how they look on the outside. We value things. We, we do that. If you see a car on a, on, at a car lot, you're, going to, you're not going to look at the engine. I don't. I wouldn't know anything if I opened that up and look at the engine. I'm looking at the outside of it. I'm looking at the color. I'm looking at the beauty. I'm looking at the aesthetics. I'm looking at the tires. I'm looking at the outside of that vehicle, and I'm determining its worth by what it looks like on the outside. We were at the beach this last week, and you drove by all kinds of beach houses. Many are being built. Many are new, and, and you, you don't go inside them. They don't let you go inside all those houses, but you walk by them, and me and my wife would say, oh, I'd love to have that house, or I'd love to have that house. We don't know what it's like on the inside. It could be awful on the inside. It could be uh, just gutted on the inside, but on the outside, oh, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. We do that when we go to the grocery store, don't we? I've never seen anybody go to the fruit in the the grocery store and and open it up first and then say, oh, it's so beautiful. It looks so good. We look at the outside of an apple. We look at the outside of a banana and we determine its value by the outside of it. We do that with beauty. Have you ever seen a judge of a beauty pageant wear a blindfold? You wouldn't see that. Why? Because they're not judging the inside of the person. They're not judging the heart of this person. They're judging the outside. They're judging the beauty of the person. The, the beauty's in the eye of the beholder. It's the, the eye test. When we see somebody, we judge their looks by how they look on the outside. We don't know. We, we, may, we may be deceived. You may find somebody very good looking and you get to know them and think, ah, oh, they're not very good looking on the inside. But we do that. We judge value. We judge beauty. We even judge religion by how people look on the outside. You've done that even today. As people are walking into church, you judge how godly they were, maybe by what they wore. We've done that in the past. You may judge me as I step up here as a pastor. If I, if I stepped up here in what I wore last week on the beach, you might not want to listen to me. <coughs> Swimming trunks and a tank top and a beach hat looking like I'm you know, getting suntanned. You may look at me and say, I don't want to listen to that guy. But when I get up here looking as good as I do today in my pink tie, you guys are looking at me right now saying, I need to hear what that guy's got to say. And it's not because of who I am. Maybe, maybe you guys know me, but if you're a visitor here today, I've never heard this guy before. If I get up here and I look as snazzy as I do right now, you guys are going to look and say, yeah, I can listen to that guy. He's wearing a nice tie. He's got a suit. He's even wearing a pocket square today. <laughs> 
We judge on the outside. And the Bible says that. The man judges on the outside. That, that's what we do. And, and the danger with that is, I mean, again, we do it in, in Christianity. We judge by how people look, by how people act, about if they go to church or not. We judge on the outside. And the problem, again, is that looks can be very deceiving. You can go look at a nice car, and if you don't look on the inside, it can really deceive you. You can buy a junker if you don't look at the motor. You, you can marry somebody that's not very pretty on the inside if you just marry her for good looks. You may listen to a preacher that looks really, really nice and, and sounds very, very nice, but he may not have anything good to say. He may not be a great person, but you've judged him by how he looks on the outside. You can be very deceived by doing that. You can get you a bad piece of fruit if you don't look at the inside. Looks can be deceiving. Looks, uh, it can look very good on the outside and be very bad on the inside. It can be ugly. It can be rotten. And that's what Jesus is doing here in this passage. In these next six statements that he's going to make in Matthew 5, he doesn't say, I'm looking at the outside of the man. Jesus is getting to the, to the heart of the matter. Jesus is, the, that's what, that's, that's what God does. I want you to understand that today. God is not judging us based on how we look on the outside. God sees, God knows, God judges the inside of man and woman. And God, God sees the deeper parts of us. He sees past the externals, past what we wear, past the, the face that we put on to everybody else. And he sees deep into the places where nobody else can see. That's God has those eyes. We don't have those eyes. Only God has those laser beam eyes that can go deep into the heart of man and know who we really are. He sees down into the, the secret places of our heart. God judges not with an external judgment, but with an internal righteous judgment. God judges our thoughts. Nobody sees my thoughts. You see my clothes. You see how I act, but you don't see my thoughts. I don't see your thoughts. I don't know what you're thinking right now. God sees your thoughts. God knows what you're thinking right now. God knows your intents. He knows your motivations. He knows you better than you know yourself. Your heart can deceive you. God knows everything about you. And that's where God's looking. That's where, what God is after. Again, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, Man judges the outer, but God judges the inside of our hearts. He has the gavel. That's why we're not to be judges of other people because we don't have that gavel. We don't have those eyes to see. And God will not accept the outward externals if the inside of us is rotten to the core. Let me say that again because there's all kinds of people that walk into churches and they look really, really good. But God will not accept that worship if the inside is rotten to the core. God gets to the inside of man. God gets to the inside of us. He's the one with the, the gavel in his hand. He's the one with the, the laser beam eyes. He's the one who judges the heart. And that's what Jesus is going to do here. He's going to show us how God judges, what God sees. You see there in verse 21, and we'll see it all through this. You've heard in verse 21, but I say, you think you're doing good if it's in the outside, but I say, let's get deeper. And he'll do that several times through here. You see in verse 27, you have heard. And then Jesus says in verse 28, but I say. And that's where he, he takes, it's almost like he takes his word and it's like a, uh, he's carving into the heart. It's a sword just piercing the soul and dividing us under. He's going deep into us. You've heard it said and you're obeying it on the outside, but I'm going to cut even deeper and get to the heart of the matter. 
And he does it six times here. And, and you guys know me. If he's going to do this, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with it. I'm not going to preach all six in one sermon. I think every one of these demands a close look. Every one of these is, is very critical. He's going to go over murder. He's going to go over adultery. He's going to go over divorce. We're going to do a whole Sunday morning on divorce. He talks about truth and lies. He talks about retaliation. And he talks about love. And he goes from not just the action of the matter, but the attitude of the matter. He, he's not so much concerned about the outside as he is the inside. He's not so much concerned about our, our deeds as he is our desires. So you see there, he goes to the heart of the matter. Not how we look on the outside, but who we are on the inside. That's what matters to God. So let's look at it. The very first one here in verse 21 is murder. Let's get to the heart of murder. I'm going to give you three points as we work our way through this outline. Verse 21, let me give you number one. The simple, get this, if you're taking notes, and I love it if you take notes. That's wonderful. The simple command. The simple command. You see that it says in verse 21, you have heard that it was said by them of old time. And what he's saying there, it's well known. You know this, and we all know this. But you've heard it said of them by, uh, of, them by them of old time. Who's the them? That's my first question I had. That Who's, Who said that in old times? Jesus is talking here about the scribes, the teachers, the ancestors, those that have passed on these truths throughout the generations. He's talking about rabbis. He's talking about their traditions. He's talking about how my papaw would pass down his knowledge to me. We all have that. I had a papaw and a granny who would sit me down, and you know you, know you need to do that. I'm glad I valued my granny and papa enough to, as a young man that my mom and dad would say, they're not going to be around forever. You need to go sit with them and talk to them. You need, you need to sit down and, and watch your granny make biscuits. You need to sit down and watch your granny make a, make a, uh, a thing of cornbread. You need to sit down and talk to your papa about World War II. You need to talk to your papa about how, the, the, how things happened back in the old days. And, and I would sit down with my granny and my papa, and they would pass on these truths to me. And now I take those truths and I pass those things down to my children and hope that, that my children, they don't listen very well, but I hope that it'll go from my grandpapa to my mom and dad to me to my kids and ultimately to my grandkids and even on down. These great truths getting passed down from generation to generation, tradition after tradition. And that's what's going on here. You've heard it said. It's been passed down to you. Your teachers have told you. We all have this. We've all been taught things. We've all been told things growing up. And you know this, get this. When those things are passed down from you to you, you always believe them. I was a young boy sitting on my papa's lap. He'd tell me things. And I don't know if it was true or not. But I believed every word he said. To this day, I believe it. And that's what he's saying here. You've heard it said, and you believe it, and you trust it, and you rely on these things that have been passed on to you that from, the, from the scribes, from the, from the ancestors. And what have they passed on? Look, look at it with me. Thou shalt not kill. They've passed down to them a commandment from Exodus 20. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's actually number six. Thou shalt not kill. You guys know that. My kids know that. That's an easy one. I mean, it's, it's just a well-understood, outright command. Do not kill. I'm going to spend just a second and tell you what that means, to kill. First of all, it means murder. It's not capital punishment. It's not being at war with somebody. 
where one nation is fighting against another nation and somebody's sitting over there saying, I'm a Christian, I can't kill. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's not even talking about self-defense because the Bible says if somebody takes a life, that's capital punishment. If they take a life, then they will lose a life. There's self-defense. There's war. It happens all the time. So it's not talking about murder. It's talking about murder. It's, it's not talking about just any killing. It's a planned, plotted murder. And this word murder, that's what the word is. It's murder in the Hebrew. It's the first crime. Cain murdered Abel. Uh, murder is authored by the devil. John 8, 44 says devil's a, the, the devil's a murderer. Uh, Matthew 15, 19 says that, that murder comes from the heart. Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts and murders. It's one of the seven things that God hates in Proverbs 6. It's uh, uh, of the list of sins in Revelation 22 of those who are on the outside of heaven are murderers. So we know it's a, it's a bad sin to murder somebody. We know that it's on God's list of things you don't do. You don't murder people. And the punishment here in this passage, you see that? Thou shalt not kill. Understand that word kill is murder. And whosoever shall kill, murder, shall be in danger of the judgment. And this judgment is capital punishment. If you take a life, you will lose a life. That, that, that was understood. It was passed down from generation to generation to generation. If you take a life, you will lose a life. If you murder somebody, you'll stand before the judge and he will kill you. That's what it's saying here. You know that. I tell my kids that. If you, and what I tell my kids now, I don't teach them about murder. I hope that's not on their list. But if my, my kids, uh, if, if you hit your sister, I will whip you. That's what it's saying. If you do this, you'll get yourself in trouble. You'll go to jail. You'll, you'll be put to death. It's, it's, it's civil, law and order, capital punishment. You'll be in trouble with the law if you murder somebody. You've heard it said that. That, that gets passed down to all generations. It's, it's simple. It's, it's easy. If you kill somebody, you will get punished for it. And this is well kept. You guys are sitting there bored stiff right now. You know why? Because we all agree to this. I could get an amen from every person in this room right now. Everybody in here is going to say, and you're not saying it, but you're in your heart, you're saying, yeah, I get it. That's true. We don't, we don't murder. It's wrong. 100% agreement. Murder is a sin. Everybody agrees with that. Atheists agree with that. Murder's wrong. I mean, every religion understands that murder's wrong. We all get that. And you know, something else, not only do we agree with it, I'm hoping here today that none of us have ever committed this sin. If I ask you to raise your hand today, if you've ever committed murder, I would hope there wouldn't be a single hand that would be raised. I hope there's every one of us in here, none of us would ever kill anything or anybody. I hope that's where we are. None of us would commit murder. I mean, most of us are sitting here saying, I'm so innocent, I, I wouldn't kill a fly. I, 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 we, we don't murder. We, we understand that. We, we know that only the vile, only the wicked, only the worst of the worst would ever murder somebody. Murderers are in a category all to their own. I mean, it's like us over here, we'd never murder. You know, we wouldn't do that. I would never murder. I, mean, I was at the beach last week, and I accidentally killed a crab. We were out crab hunting, and, my, and, and I, I, it was running from me, and I was trying to catch it, and I caught it and pulled its legs off, and it died. And, and I, I know Peter would be, I'd be in trouble if they knew, so I hope they're not watching. And my kids were like, Dad, I can't believe you did that, you know. And I felt bad. And that's, that's who we are. We were, we were sad. We, we would never do that. I, I didn't want to hurt a crab, let alone murder somebody else. That's a, I'm in this category of, I would never do that. I would never think of that. Murder 
murderers are in jail. Murderers are bad. Murderers are, are the worst people in society. I can't, I can't imagine a, a murderer, somebody who would take somebody else's life. Who would do that? I'm over here innocent. I'm over here. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm looking down on murderers. I'm over here and I'm saying, you know what? Thank God I'm not a murderer. I'm better than murderers. Murderers deserve hell more than I deserve hell, right? Murderers need Jesus. I'm just thinking that in our minds, right? Murderers need Jesus more than I need Jesus. My sins are near as bad as murderers. Murderers are terrible. We watch crime shows on TV. Murderers. We're sitting there judging them. How could they, you know? That's how we view murderers. They're the worst of society. Is there anybody worse than a murderer? And that's what, we, that's what everybody in that society thought. They were in a category on their own. We look at people in prison and say, murderers. <laughs> they deserve hell. That's how we see things. That's how the self-righteous, that's how these people in the crowd, when they hear murder, they think, yeah, murderer's bad. We sit over here and the outside is clean. Right? Their hands are bloody. They're sitting over here, and we can imagine a murderer just sitting over here, hands bloody, wicked, you know, just grinding their teeth, and, you know, bad people. And we're sitting over here, clean hands. Outside, we would never hurt a fly. I would never murder anybody. I wouldn't. You wouldn't. We're not murderers here in the church. It's not a church full of murderers. That's for the prisons. They're the worst of society. They're terrible people that, that deserve hell. We're good, moral, upstanding citizens. So we all need to amen it. We all need to high-five each other and say, yes, not murderers. But wait. Watch what Jesus does. He takes this simple command, pay attention, and He turns it into a surprising correction. Jesus takes this simple command and turns it into a surprising correction. You think you're great? That's what he's doing here. That, that crowd of people that he's preaching to in the Sermon on the Mount, they're all watching him. This is multiplied thousands of people and they're sitting there listening to him. And he said, you've heard it said that murdering is bad. They're all like, yes, we're not that. And he says, but wait. Before you think yourself something great, let me tell you what it really means. And he gives them a surprising, that's point number two, a surprising correction. Jesus says in verse 22, but I say. And he's, he's switching it now. I love that. That but I say is I myself say. It's him speaking with authority. He's not quoting a rabbi somewhere. He's not quoting a, a theologian. He's not saying, I heard somebody else say somewhere else. Jesus is quoting himself. I, the incarnate Son of God, says, I, God, say this. He's speaking with authority. He's saying here it doesn't matter what you've heard. He's saying here it doesn't matter what's been, what you've been taught, what's been passed down to you, what the scribes have said, what the Pharisees have said. He's looking at me and saying, Josh, it don't matter what your parents have said. It doesn't matter what you've heard. It doesn't matter what your grandparents passed down to you. Only The only thing that matters is what I say. Here's the truth of the matter. It don't matter what political commentaries say out there. The only thing that matters is what Jesus says. 
And Jesus here puts his authority above everybody else. I say this. You've heard murder. I say here. This is big. Jesus is not correcting the law. He's not changing it. He's, he is correcting what they've been taught. He's correcting their traditions. You've had it wrong all this time. Here's what it really means. He's giving the right understanding of the sixth commandment. This is what God meant in Exodus 20. You've heard it said. You've heard it interpreted. You've heard it explained. You've heard it understood. But that's been wrong. They've been telling you wrong all these years. It means so much more than murder. The sixth commandment is so much more than just don't murder anybody. And here he gives us what it really means. Here he, the knife of his word digs deep into us. Watch what he says. Watch this correction. Here's what it really means. And I'm going to, he gives us three degrees. I call them first degree murder, second degree murder, and third degree murder. The first degree murder is anger. You see what he says? But I say unto you, and this is the sixth commandment. When God gave the commandments to Moses in Exodus 20 and he said, thou shalt not kill, he meant anger. Look what he says, but I say unto you that whosoever, and this is clear. This isn't hard to understand. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. That shall be in danger of the judgment is the exact wording of verse 21. You will receive the same punishment if you are angry with somebody as if you had murdered somebody. It's the same thing. It's not the outward act. It's the inside of the heart that Jesus is getting to. He's talking about, see what he says, I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother. What does that anger mean? Uh, again, this is in the heart. This is, it's, it's the feeling of the heart. It's a, it's a word that means a slow building up, a smoldering. It's like a, uh, if you have a, a bonfire and there's, there's embers there and it's just slowly burning and it won't go away. That's what he's talking about, the anger in our hearts. It can just sit there and sizzle in our hearts and it burns and it won't go out. No matter how much water you're putting on your heart trying to get the anger out it won't go out it just sits there and sizzles and burns and won't go away if you have that in your heart then you're in danger of the judgment it's as if you murdered somebody oh my this is long lived it won't die it boils up it, and it eats away at you deep down in your heart you're angry and it says without cause so there's a good cause to be angry jesus was angry at times I know of one time in particular where he went and turned over the tables in the temple because they were using the, the house of God for money and not for prayer like it should be. So there's good anger. Anger that is for the glory of God is good anger. When we see sin in our world, and it, it should anger us with a righteous anger. But when we have selfish anger, an anger that says that person wronged me and I am angry at them, and it boils up, and you grit your teeth. And every time you see them, you got anybody like that in your life? That every time you see them, it's just, you just, mmm. You, you can tell I've had it before. You just, you, you feel that inside you. It's just, it's just boiling over. That person, get this, that person has irritated me. 
That person has displeased me. That person has hurt my feelings. That person has, has done me wrong. That person has, if you're driving home from the beach, and that person cuts you off in traffic. You know, that's how I get angry. It's just, it's just you guys know how it is. That's what this word is. It's not righteous anger where they, they have sinned against God and they're doing evil and atrocious things. This is a, a, an anger that is because somebody hurt me. I'm upset because somebody has angered me. They've got on my nerves. They've hurt my feelings. They've wronged me. And now I'm just eat up with anger. Again, there's a righteous anger, but there's also an unrighteous, selfish, selfish anger. This is dangerous. It says, as God is the judge, that you will receive the same judgment for murder as you would with anger. Jesus is saying here, you get the death penalty for anger. That hurts. That's first degree murder there. Let's move to the second degree. You guys ready for that one? This one is down deep in your heart, and it gets worse every time. This one is down deep in your heart where it just, you don't say anything, you know. That's why I said, oh, you know, you want to say something, but you don't. It's just, it's, just, it's just deep down, you're mad all the time. Have you ever been around just angry people? I've been around angry people in church, you know, just all the time mad at everybody. Yeah, their, their teeth are always grinding against each other. The second one is when words come out. You see this? But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say, you see that? It goes from a feeling deep down in our heart to words that come out of our mouth. You don't have to have a knife to kill somebody. Sometimes your words can kill somebody. Be careful with your words. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. That's the Supreme Court. He's taking it not only from, from the local to the to like the federal level. You're in you're even, even more danger when you go from it being a feeling to, to words that come out of your mouth. You say, what does it mean? What does a raka mean? And this is hard. This is a, a Hebrew term that is, uh, yeah, they have a hard time interpreting what that word means. I found several things that it, it, that it could mean. Uh, I had some commentaries that said it means brainless idiot. Not my words, somebody else's. Uh, I, had, I had commentaries that said it means stupid, that it means worthless, that it means a bonehead. I, I, I'll say this, I don't know what it means, but it's a term they used in that day to deride someone, to hurt someone. You can think of a term that we would use that if we saw somebody we were angry at and, and the word that come out of our mouth, whatever it is, whether it's a curse word or whether it's just a, a, a term that is not nice, a term that you would use to talk about that person. That, that person's a bonehead. That person's a, an idiot. That person is stupid. That, and whatever that is, that's a word that they would use, but they would use the word rock off. So I hope nobody goes out today and starts calling people rock off. It's speaking of a, of a way that they would tear down somebody. That they would use their words not to build somebody up, but to tear them down, to cut them down a notch. You want to you hurt them with your, with your words. You want to you bring them down. You're not only just letting an anger build up in your heart. It has now come out of, it, that's what happens. It, it builds up in your heart and it comes out of your mouth where you look at people and say, rock up. It can actually be a curse word that they use there. It's speaking of somebody else's character. You're trying to slander somebody else's character and make them look bad. It speaks of 
people's personalities. It speaks of people's looks, that you're going to look at them and say, I see something wrong with their looks, the way they dress, uh, maybe the way they wear their hair, you know, and I want to bring them down by pointing that out about them. That's rock off about their personality, about their looks, about their character, about their family, about, about what they do and how they act. I'm, I'm going to bring them down by speaking harshly about them. This is name-calling. This is spitting poison. This is murder, not with a knife, but with a tongue. And this is all over the New Testament. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, includes not only anger, but all filthy, slanderous communication that comes out of our mouths. I can take you to 2 Corinthians 12, 20, where Paul says, talking about the Corinthian church, says, I, I hope when I come there that you guys are not name-calling. You know, you know, you know who are name-callers? Children are. I get it all the time. I just rode eight hours in a car with my kids. They're calling each other every name in the book behind me. They're coming up with names I've never heard of before. I should have told them to use Raka. At least they know a Hebrew word, you know. Children do that. And Jesus is saying here that the standard in my kingdom and for my people is more than just don't murder. I don't want you angry at each other. And not only do I don't want you angry at each other, I don't want you slandering each other, talking about each other, calling each other names. There's no place for that in my kingdom. It's as if you are a murderer using your tongue to stab people in the back. There's poison come out of a lot of Christian lips. And Jesus here, Barney fives it. He nips it in the bud. You guys aren't awake. That was a good one. You guys are just... Uh, I, I, it's Memorial Weekend. I can't get you going. Ephesians says, and Colossians says the same thing. Paul says to put, out, put off all forms of filthy communication. And the danger here again is the council, the highest level of Jewish Supreme Court. It takes it another level, not just to burn in your heart, anger deep down, but what comes out of your mouth, slander. The third one he gives here. The third degree murder is to curse someone else. To curse them. Look, look what he says there in verse 22. He starts out with, whosoever is angry with his brothers shall be in danger of judgment. That's local judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rakah, shall be in danger of the council. That's high level Supreme Court stuff. But whosoever shall say, and I would underline that, thou fool, shall be in danger of going to hell. You say, thou fool. That's, that's, I better never say that one. That puts me in danger, not of, not of the local courts or the, the Supreme Courts. That puts me in danger of going to hell if I call people a fool. You've got you to know what that word uh, fool means here. I mean, this, what he's doing here is he's, all abusive language is forbidden in the sixth commandment uh, uh, in Exodus 20. We can leave a line of corpses behind us with just our words. We kill people daily with our words. We may sit over here and say, my hands are clean. I would never murder anybody. They are so much worse than I am. Those are murderers. But when we open our mouths, when God opens our hearts, he sees that deep down we are just like they are. We're just cleaner on the outside than they are. We just know how to dress ourselves up and they don't. 
We just know how to control the, the, our hands, and they don't. But there's really no difference between their heart and our hearts. If you say thou fool, you say, what does that mean? This word is, is the Greek word moros. That's where we get the word moron. It means to call someone an unbeliever. It means to say someone doesn't believe in God. The Proverbs says, I think it's Proverbs 1, that a fool says in his heart there is no God. And that was a term they would use in that day for someone to call somebody else an apostate. For somebody to call somebody else a, a rebel against God. For somebody to look at them and say, you're going to hell. That's what this is. It's a curse. You're going to hell. Go to hell. That's the, the, what's coming out. It's not just go to hell, but you're not even saved. You're not even close to God. You don't even know who God is. It's as if you are the judge of their hearts and you're telling not just them, but the world, they're going to hell. That's the worst thing you can do is judge someone else's heart. You don't see their hearts. You don't know their hearts. You have not been given a badge that says judge hearts. God is the judge of hearts. It's not my place to say who anybody is going to heaven or going to hell. I know if they believe in Christ, they're, they're, they're believing in Christ, professing Christ, then, then that's how you get to heaven. But I'm not going to judge their hearts. God knows the heart. And that's what he's saying. You're fools. You're an apostate. You're a rebel. Jesus would call people fools. You know why? He, he said it several times to the, to the Jewish leaders of the day. You fools. You know why Jesus can say that? He knows hearts. We don't. The danger here, again, is the worst. It's hellfire. It's Gehana. It's a place of garbage. And why is that so serious? Because it comes from an angry, hateful, bitter, slanderous, cursing, murderous heart. Jesus here is putting murderer on the outside on the same level with murderer on the inside. You guys think you're great because you've never killed anybody? You do it all the time with your heart and with your lips. Do you see that? You think you're something great. You know what he's done here? I, I don't know if you guys get it. But he has shut everybody's mouths. Because if you go through this list and you can look at that and say, I've never done any of the three, you're a liar. Who are the murderers? Has anyone here ever been angry? Has anyone here ever said, Raka? <laughs> anybody? I mean, probably not that word, but you said something. Has anybody ever said, Thou fool? Told somebody they're going to hell and you don't really even know? Of course we have. Every single one of us is guilty of these things. 1 John 3.15 says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Whosoever hateth. Do you understand this? That what Jesus is doing here is saying murder in the heart is anger that's building up. It becomes words that are slanderous. It becomes words that are cursing. That you that that, that curse word is, is that cursing, that, that that fool is you hate them. It becomes hatred. And when you get to the point of hatred, you're at the point of almost to the point of wanting to kill them. All murder starts first with anger in the heart. 
It builds to words until it becomes actions with our hands. What this does is it leaves nobody innocent. Not one. Everybody guilty. There's no more high fives here. If we were over here at the start and we thought, they're so bad and we're so good and we're patting ourselves on the back and giving ourselves a high five, we're not murderers. We never murder anybody. They deserve hell, not us. Now Jesus has taken us in the same category and moved all of us over to murderers with them. And some of you sitting there saying, now there's no way I'm that bad. Jesus just said we all are. When he looks at our hearts, he sees us no different than they are. He's put us all in our place. Every single one of us. In God's eyes, <laughs> this is hard for me to say. In God's eyes, we're all murderers. Same category. Not even the moral giants of our day can keep from doing that. Even the best of us. Jesus' expectations for his people exceed our expectations and the world's expectations. It's not just don't murder, it's don't be angry. There's more expected of us. The world expects people not to murder, Jesus expects us not to be angry. The world expects us not to kill people. Jesus expects us not to slander people. The world expects us to not bring out a knife. God expects us not to curse with our mouths. He takes it to a whole other level. This is His expectations, His examination of the heart. And you can look around the room today and some of you are saying, oh, it's not that big a deal. Oh, it is. You stand before God as a murderer. There's conviction here. All mouths should be stopped. It should be a shock to our system. We should be reading this and saying, wow, I, I, I can't believe that. That's what they're doing. Their, their jaws are dropping there. There's condemnation here. If that's the case, get this, then every single one of us deserve hell. Yeah. So the question here is, what do we do? And Jesus gives us our last point, and I'll close. He goes from the simple command to the surprising correction to the very serious challenge. There's a very serious challenge here. You can't escape this. These are verses you don't want to read. These are hard. Let's read them. We don't skip verses here. This serious challenge. He says, therefore... You see that word therefore? It's there for a reason. Why is it there? He's transitioning. Because of what I just said, here's what you do. Because of what I just taught you, here's how you practice it. Because of what I've said, here's how you live now. Here's what you must do based on what I just said. And he's talking to crowds of thousands and, and he's talking through his word today to you. He's telling you, because of what I just said, here's what you must do. Here's the application. Here's how you go out these doors here today and put this into practice. Here's what I have to do and what you have to do because of what he just said. Here's the correction. Here's the, the application. Are you ready for it? Here's what he has. And he gives us two illustrations. Therefore, here's, here's illustration number one. If you bring a gift to the altar, and what he's talking about here is if you come to the temple and you're going to bring a sacrifice, usually on the day of Passover, they would come from miles and miles away. Minimum 80 miles. 
And they would bring their whole family and they would bring their sacrifice for their sins, their sins and the sins of their family. And they would bring it to the temple and they'd give it to the priest. They'd come to the altar and the head of the family, the father, would bring the sacrifice and he would, he would lay it uh, at the altar for his family. And he's saying there, if you get to the altar, if you get to the temple and you're going to be there confessing your sins and laying them on that sacrifice, that whatever that is, that bullock, that, that ram, whatever you're going to bring, whatever, maybe a bird, maybe a goat, maybe a lamb, you're going to bring it and you're going to lay it down there and they're going to slaughter that animal for your sins and for your family's sins and you bring it and lay it down and as you're there confessing your sins and making a sacrifice if in your mind you remember that somebody back home is angry with you in our context it would be if you come to church and you've traveled 10 minutes 20 minutes an hour and you get here and you're getting ready to worship and you bow your head to pray, and you remember that somebody somewhere is angry at you. And you don't have to, you maybe never even did anything wrong, but somebody somewhere is angry at you. They're upset with you. And you're sitting there praying, and you remember somebody's upset with me. Somebody's angry with me. Somebody's mad at me. Jesus here says, watch what he says. And you remember that thy brother hath ought against thee. Here's what you do. You leave your gift there at the altar and you go thy way. You don't finish out church. You don't finish out leaving the sacrifice. You get your family. Can you imagine the wife's reaction to that? I got to go home and make something right first. Travel back 80 miles, 120 miles. I don't know how far they had to go, but you're sitting there and you say, oh, I, I, I've got somebody that's mad at me back home. I, I've got to go and I, I've got to make it right. I've got to reconcile. So you've got to pack back up, go home, and it says, and be reconciled to thy brother. Make it right. If it's family, if it's a spouse, go home. Don't wait. Don't wait till the service is over. Get up. Go settle it. Deal with it. Reconcile it. Make it right. And then you can come back. That's what he says there. That, that's, that's a big deal. He's saying here, don't come to me with your religious activity if your life isn't right. I won't accept your worship if your life isn't right. He's saying you can't come to church and pretend it and fake it. He's saying you can't come in here and lift up hands that look righteous when deep down in your heart there's unrighteousness. He's saying you can't be at odds with other brothers and still be at peace with God. Go and get it right and then come back. God doesn't want us angry. God doesn't even want other people angry at us. So get up and go. Can you imagine that right now? There's people in these pews and I'm, I'm looking at you saying, you might as well not even finish out this sermon. If there's somebody angry at you right now, you might as well get up and go out and make it right. Because God's not looking down at you right now saying, good job, you're at church. God's looking at your heart and how you're relating to other people and He's saying, Phew. You say, how does that work? If it's in your families, go make it right. If it's in your marriage, go make it right. If it's with your children, go make it right. If it's in your church, if there's brothers and sisters, God does not want that in church. If there's one over here who doesn't get along with one over here, and if there's five over here that hide so they want to see this one over here, 
That should not be in church. This one should reconcile with this one, and this one should reconcile with that one, and that one down there should reconcile with this one, and there should be reconciliation going on in the church. The greatest revival that, that we could ever see is a reconciliation among people in God's house. You've got churches all across this area and across this land where there are people in the church that don't get along with each other. And we just, you know what we do with it? You know what we do with that stuff? We sweep it under the rug. Because nobody here knows it and nobody here sees it, but God sees the inside. And God sees the heart. And God wants us to lift holy hands, not just pretend hands. You say, how do I do that? I say, get up and go. And understand this, it might work. You go to your brother, you go to your sister, you go to your whoever it is that might be angry at you, and you might not have done anything wrong, but they're angry at you. They might not have a reason to be angry at you, but you know they're angry, you know they hate you, so you're going to get up and go and say, hey, I, I'm not going to apologize for something I didn't do, but if I've wronged you in any way, I am sorry. It might work. You might be reconciled with somebody. You might have to humble yourself. Yeah, you, you might have to, to do something you don't really want to do. You might sit there and in your heart you may be saying, I don't like that guy, you know. But make it right. But understand this too, it might not work. That person may just say, Psh. No. But there's two parties in reconciliation. One side and the other. And the only side I can control is me. If it doesn't work, there's nothing else you can do. Romans says, do our best to be at, do our best to be at peace with all men. Do what we can. And if they won't have any of it, then I, at least I can come to church and lift holy hands before God and say, I've done my part. The second thing he says, he, he adds some urgency to it. And I'm, I'm closing. I told you you won't like this. So some of you sitting there saying right now, who's angry with me? <laughs> I get it. I get it. The second thing he says, and we'll close. Verse 25, do it quickly. Don't wait. Do it quickly. Don't put it off. Look what he says in verse 25. Agree with thine adversary. And he calls it an adversary. No, no, not friends. You're, you're at odds with each other. You're not reconciled. You're against each other. Uh, agree with an adversary quickly. While the, and, and he gives an illustration. While you're in the way with him. You say, what does that mean? In, in those days, this is, this is very interesting. In those days, if you had something against your brother, you could take him to court. And you know how you took him to court? You didn't have to go and get some kind of letter or you know, do all this mess that we do today. All you had to do was go and get their arm and grab them and take them to court. <laughs> And you take them to the judge, whoever the judge was in Israel that time, you drag them. And they may not want to go, but you're saying, I got something against you, you got something against me. Let's go to the judge and let him figure it out. So you'd grab that person and you'd go. And, and on your way, that's what he's saying here. And while you're on your way with him, make it right before you get to the judge. You, you see what he says there? Well, look, agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way, while he's pulling you to the judge. You better get it right on the way. Why? Watch this. Lest at any time the adversary delivers you to the judge and the judge delivers you to the officer and you get cast in prison. You say, what does that mean? Get this. The person that's getting drugged to the judge probably doesn't think he's done anything wrong. They're probably sitting there saying, I didn't wrong you. 
I ain't wrong. You're wrong. You know, you know how that goes. You're, you're the one that's wrong. You're the one that hurt my feelings. You're the one that did it. You, 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 you. And this is over here saying, you, 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 you. And they're going to the judge. And none of us ever think we've done anything wrong, do we? I mean, my kids never do anything wrong. <laughs> I heard them fighting the other day. Uh, we was at the beach house. And the other one said, I, I didn't do anything. And the other said, I didn't do anything. Well, why are you fighting if nobody did anything? It's his fault. No, it's his fault. No, it's his fault. That's the same thing in churches today. No, he did it. No, he did it. No, he did it. Well, you better make it right one way or the other before you get to the judge. And when the judge who's seen both parties sitting right there in front, and you know who the judge is? The judge is God. And the judge looks at both parties, and the judge is going to make a decision on who's right and who's wrong. And he may look at, and he's looking at the heart. And when he looks at the heart, he may look at you, and you thought you was right all along. And he may look at your heart and say, and you don't want to hear this when you stand before God. You're the one who's in the wrong. It was you. And there won't be no but, 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 but then. No. That's what he's saying. You better agree. Get this. You better agree while you're still alive. Because you don't want to stand before God and be at odds with somebody and you might be the one in the wrong. Have you ever contemplated that you might be the one that's wrong? No, never me. No. Next time you get in a fight with your spouse, look at her and say, you know what? I might be wrong. It'll surprise her to death. Nobody ever thinks they're wrong. How about that in a church? Yeah, you know what? I might be wrong on that. You know what? I might. That might be my fault. How about a political fight? Ooh, I might be wrong. Nobody ever does that. Imagine a political debate between two presidential candidates and the other one says, you know what? You might be right and I might be wrong. Nobody does that. But we're going to all stand before the judge one day and the judge is going to say, who's right and who's wrong? So we better make it right before we stand before the judge and he sends us to the council and he sends us into prison, which is hell. You better be careful. You better get it right before we stand before God. That's the urgency of this. You better do it while you can. Be reconciled if you can, while you can. Wow, I mean, is that not hard? Be reconciled with each other. And that, I'll give you this and I'll close. Here's your application for today. It's easy. Two things. Be reconciled with each other. There's a party here and there's a party there and you guys are at odds with each other. You're an adversary. And there may be people mad at you you don't even know about. I sit down this week while I was at the beach and I just said, God, is there anybody that I don't know about that hates my guts? <laughs> I'll make it right. You know why we have to make it right? Because it says we have to make it right. I can't change what it says. All we can do is obey this or disobey this. Is there somebody in the church here today that doesn't like me? <laughs> Is mad at me, angry at me, I'll make it right. That's how we need to be. Reconcile with each other. If we ever want to see God move greatly in our midst, we need to reconcile with each other. You can't pray for God to move, you can't pray for revival if we're all sitting here like this with each other. So reconcile. As long as you're alive, as far as it depends on you, do what you can to be rid of any grudges, any bitterness, any conflict, any hatred. Humble yourself, show grace, 
As God's been gracious to us, we must now show grace to others. Reconciliation can be the start of a great move of God. Christians should not be angry, bitter, and hateful to each other. They must be at peace with each other. Can you imagine the witness it would be if there was a, if I'm saved and there's a lost person mad at me and I go to that lost person and I say, you know what? I'm sorry. I may have hurt you and didn't even know it. He would think, well, I've never seen nothing like that before. What's different about you? Jesus holds me to a higher standard. So be reconciled with each other. And second, and I'll close with this, as I always do, if you're here today and, and you're at odds not with each other, but you're at odds with God. That the, that the, that the two parties is, is God and you, and you're not saved. You're, you're an unbeliever, and, and, and you're guilty before God. You look at yourself today and say, yes, I've been angry. Yes, I've been slanderous. Yes, I've been cursing other people. And, and yes, I'm basically before God a murderer, and I deserve judgment and hell. I deserve to be tossed out to the, the garbage heap. That's what I deserve. God would be right to be angry at me. I need to be reconciled with that God. I need to be made right with that God. I need to come to peaceful terms with God Almighty Himself. You cannot be at peace with each other if you're not at first peace with God. We must be at peace with God. Every single one of us, according to this passage, we need Jesus. <laughs> We can't do better. We can't try harder. We must run to Jesus by faith. And, and, and I'll give you, you must admit that you're a sinner. If you're here today and you're lost, you're at odds with you and God, the first way to reconciliation is admit you're wrong. Don't minimalize it. Don't rationalize it. Confess it out in the open. He already knows it. Say, God, yes, I know I'm a sinner. I'm as bad as a murderer. I don't see myself as better than murderers. I see myself on the same level as murderers. I have angry issues in my heart. I have mouth issues. I'm a bad person. I need Jesus. <laughs> Admit your sin. Believe in Christ. Put your faith in Him. Hang all your hopes on His life and upon His death and upon His resurrection. Go to God and say, I, I know I'm a sinner. I admit it. I, I'm, I'm a murderer. Next week we'll call you an adulterer. Then we'll call you a liar. We're just gonna, he's just going to go down the list and just show you how bad we really are. Yes, I'm a murderer. Yes, I'm an adulterer. Yes, I'm a liar. Yes, I'm, I'm not a good person. But Jesus is a good person. He's the only good person that ever lived. He's sinless. He's perfect. He never failed. He never had an unrighteous anger in his heart at all. Never had a bad thought. Never did a bad deed. All the anger that he ever showed was a righteous, holy anger that was good and, and right. He's the perfect man and I, I'm, I'm the sinful man and I'm putting my faith in, in his life and only his life, but that he died for my sins and that he was buried and rose again on the third day and he's coming back as the judge to determine who's right and who's wrong. Put your faith in him and then confess it before men. Don't be ashamed to let everybody know you follow Christ. Make it known here today. Stand up and confess Christ. Go to the baptistry waters and confess Christ before men. Let everybody know it. 
And the great thing about this passage today is I know it's been convicting, I know it's been hard, but understand, what's great about this passage is it gives us a chance today to leave this church reconciled with each other and right with God. What an outstanding message that was. And now joining with me in the studio today is Pastor Josh Tompkins. Josh, what are some examples of legalism in the church today, and what can we do to avoid becoming dogmatic ourselves? Well, there's so many examples of legalism uh, in our area. It's plenty, I guess, in, in our country, in the world, the church, we see a whole lot of legalism. Uh, just to define that in a, in a short little definition is when somebody takes a conviction, uh, maybe even takes a tradition and they place it on somebody else as a set law, a set in stone law of this is what you must do. This is how you must behave. Some people even place uh, a tradition or a conviction on people as a necessary fruit of salvation or faithfulness. Uh, so if something they think, something they're convicted about, they place that on somebody else. And this is everywhere. I hear all the time, if you don't do this, then you're not this. If you do this, you're not this. And some examples of that, I, I hear it all the time with with music and how we worship. Uh, you know, people try to place standards on churches, on Christians, on how they, they worship. And I understand there are uh, certain things that we need to have in our worship, but we don't need to be legalistic about it, where I, my way is the only way. If you don't worship like I do, you're not faithful. So we need to be careful with that. And it's not just music. I see it with the, with the way we live our lives. Uh, I see it with tattoos. I hear that a lot. I had a guy tell me one time uh, in our church that somebody told him that he, he needed to cover up his tattoos, that they were sin and and I was thinking that you know that's that's a little you got to be careful you're going to give me scripture for that that's that's going to have to be exposited and explained in, in a way that's not just your conviction on the matter uh, so it's not just tattoos it's other things as well that's just an example church attendance is one too I've seen churches that expect demand a certain amount of services every week yeah I want you to be in church but to say that you're an unfaithful Christian because you don't come three times a week you only come two that, that, that's kind of legalistic even in giving you have to give ten percent or you're not faithful or you're, so I've heard some people say, if you don't give 10%, you're not even right with God. That's legalism. That's conviction. That's tradition. That's not uh, easily found in the Word of God. You're going to have to show me where that is. Uh, so how do we keep from becoming legalistic or even dogmatic about our convictions and about our traditions? Well, the easiest way for me to do that is to never raise the bar of my expectations any higher than Jesus clearly did. And also to never lower the bar of my expectations any lower than he ever did. I want to stick with scripture. I want to stick with what Christ is teaching. I think the best way to do that as a pastor is expository preaching. Going verse by verse, it keeps you in line with scripture so that you don't get up and, and preach your convictions. That you don't get up and you don't preach your traditions. That you don't get up and preach your opinions. You don't get up and take it at like a soapbox and you're going to just rant and, and, and go on and on about what you're mad about that week. So you're going to be careful with that. So just stick with the scriptures and let the scriptures be your God. And I'll, I'll give you one other way to, to, be, to guard against legalism, to guard against being too dogmatic about things, is we need to hate our own sin more than we hate somebody else's. We need to worry about pulling the weeds out of our own garden more than we worry about pulling the weeds out of our neighbor's garden. So if we just worry about our own sin and, and, and the, the log that's in my eye, uh, that, that'll keep us from being overly legalistic and overly dogmatic. 
Thanks. And again, that's Pastor Josh Tompkins from West End Baptist Church. And we want to remind our listeners that we love hearing from you. So if you have biblical questions that you'd like to have them answered, please send them to us by logging on to our website at www.westendbsg.org and leave them there. Also search our website for a complete list of our outreach ministries and church services. And be sure to look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching at West End Baptist Church. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.